welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 22. So we're going to be in the last chapter of the Bible, of the, well actually it is the Bible when it's ordered, but also the last chapter of the revealing, the apocalypsis, right, of Jesus Christ. A lot of fascinating stuff, a lot of strange things that people think about Revelation, they're usually wrong. It's, God wanted us to know these things. So... Uh, chapter 22, we're only going to cover 11 verses. There's a lot in here. And the last time we looked at New Jerusalem. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you could be at the church for a while, but you're new to the Bible. This is pretty fascinating. You know, God shows us the future before it happens and everything he's shown us. I mean, almost 2000 years ago, revelation was written. There are also portions of scripture in the old Testament that were written even further back. And, um, the, the details of the things we're experiencing in 2020 and 2021, and it's not a stretch. This stuff is fascinating. Even technology, the Bible speaks about an event happening in Jerusalem where the whole world would see it at the same time. And people said, before satellite technology, they're like, no way, it's impossible. Well, with satellite technology, it's possible. So there was a lot of things that people, Israel becoming a nation, World War II, 1945, that's impossible. People would say, well, 1948, Israel became a nation. So it's almost like God says, watch, doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Everything I say is going to come to pass. So we're seeing future events. We're seeing a new creation. We're seeing a new heavens and a new earth. Um, beautiful, as beautiful as it, as it is here, this is going to be more beautiful. It's not going to be tectonic activities, not going to be natural disasters, not going to be death. God's going to make this pristine environment. Um, so we, we can get an idea based on sort of like the earth that we're living on. Oh, I can, I can see where, you know, God would do that. And without these problems and without national natural disasters, people get excited about it. New heavens, new earth. Here's the part that people have, uh, a sticking point with is the new Jerusalem, right? We're learning about this city. So much of the Bible of revelation is devoted to this new Jerusalem. And we, we look at it and it's, it's, it's hovering. Is it floating? Is it orbiting? We we're really not sure, but it's marvelous. It's fantastic. Now, this is where, uh, the last two chapters, 21 and 22, where Bible teachers have to be humble and step back and just report what God is showing them. And what I mean by that is we went through, right, in, in a year's time in Revelation, we went through. Now, remember, this was written early in the first century A.D., okay? So I don't want to say early in the Roman Empire because it did last many, many years before that and then a few centuries afterwards. But the Apostle John, with limited technology, first century, he's telling us stuff about the rise and fall of empires. He's telling us things about church history when the church barely was getting on its feet. He told us things about aggressive globalism that we're seeing today in our nation, this tug to pull us all the Western countries into this global network, this aggressive global network. So 
We're seeing things that are, it blows our minds, the accuracy that God gives details. Now, here's where the sticking point comes in. God is telling us about this new creation. He's telling us about this new Jerusalem. And the human eye has never seen this before. And even the Apostle John in his vision is trying to explain to us what he saw with his limited human understanding. So we as Bible teachers now are trying to explain what John was trying to explain what he saw about something that human beings have never experienced. This is the way I liken it. And I love to, you know, I'm into investigating, going into the Greek. I love it, the, the, the mental pursuits. To me, that's my thing, debate and strategy and all this kind of stuff. And then I get to these chapters and I'm like, you know what? Be childlike, like Jesus said. I'm talking to myself, right? So the best way I can describe this, the last two chapters where all these things, incredible things that we can't totally figure out is, I liken it like this. Pastors, Bible teachers, Bible commentators, we're kind of all in a room and we're like little children. And daddy says, I have a surprise for you. And we, then he leaves the room and we know our daddy. He's a God of love and, and we're all excited. And one of us is saying, well, I hope it's a pony. And the other one says, I hope it's a fire truck. And we all get excited. We know it's going to be great, but we don't know what to expect. So that's where we are in the last two chapters. I don't know if it's a pony. I don't know if it's a fire truck, but I'm going to tell you that it's going to be pretty awesome. So I'm going to do the best I can, but there's going to be some conjecture in here. So let's jump in. We're only going to do it in two parts. Verse 1, Revelation 22, verse 1. The Apostle John is being escorted. He's being you know, moved by these angels and these heavenly beings to this He's seeing uh, things unfold many years into the future. So here is the final, the eternity. And he showed me a pure, now this is in the New Jerusalem, right, that we talked about. A pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So one out of two is Edenic. Eden. We have a little baby that was born recently named Eden. Um, and keep praying because there's a lot of, a lot of people in the church that are going to be ter- come term to do with pregnancy. So we want to make sure mom and baby are good. But going back to Eden, Edenic characteristics inside the New Jerusalem. And what does that mean? It means we sort of have to know to understand Edenic characteristics. We sort of have to know what Genesis says, right? Before sin entered the world, these things were beautiful. The human race, due to sin, has ruined God's creation. But God's creation is so glorious that you could still find beauty in his creation. But it's a marred creation due to sin. Right? So verse 1, a pure river of water of life. Wow, pure water. So many contaminants today in water and, you know, water treatment systems and just even people with well water. Certain things happen. 
waste isn't buried properly. So today, to get pure water is, you know, how many people have uh, filtration systems in their own house, charcoal filters and all that. But here, this just comes out, and the source is pure because it comes from God himself. Now, going back to Bible teachers, Bible commentators, there are differing opinions on some of this, which I don't mind putting in. Some Bible commentators see this as a continuing um, flowing of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus in John 7, right? Rivers of living water will flow out of that person, right? Who believes in Jesus and trusts in him and has a relationship with him. And it was indicative of the Holy Spirit. And I think that as Bible teachers, and, and most of us do, we get along, we say, well, I have a difference of opinion. It's okay. We'll, when we get there, we'll see it. Um, so whether it's, I, I doubt it's H2O. I doubt it's that compound. Um, it could be the Holy Spirit, but whatever it is, just the point that we need to get is that it comes from God and it's pure. And whatever he gives us is, is you know, it's like when you give, you're only going to give your children because you love your kids things that are pure. You're going to scrutinize it first. So this comes from God. He's gonna, it's going to sustain us. Verse 2. So there's a lot of things here that we see. The tree of life, it's back again, right? Um, in Genesis 3, after our federal head human parents have brought sin into God's creation, the angels had guarded the tree of life so that humans couldn't get back into it. And it's, it's so funny how people look at things in the world and how we as Christians look at things. It's a, it's a, what happens is when sin entered the world and death entered the world, we, we had to have what I would call a truncated life expectancy. So we couldn't live forever in a sinful state. Can I tell you something? We would be monsters. There's actually fantasy movies and they're silly, like vampire movies, and they're around for thousands of years. And they've amassed incredible wealth and power. And well, that's what it would be like if God allowed the human race to stay in an eternal state in our physical bodies with being sinful creatures. We would continue to amass power and wield it over. And people do that today. But thankfully, the, the richest billionaires who are horrible people, not all of them, but some of them, who wield that type of power, eventually they're going to pass away. So w when you look at it from the Christian perspective, you say, well, that's a blessing to the human race. That there aren't these, you know, timeless beasts in human form that just dominate everybody else. Death is a great equalizer, isn't it? So... Um, the tree of life comes back because now sin has been eradicated in this dispensation. It's fascinating to look at this stuff. It says that the trees, the tree of life yielded its fruit every month. Well, that brings up another question is, is there still time month? And we render time based on the relationship of the sun to the earth and the, the rotation of the earth. And all right, we, we're back to the same place where the sun is in the same spot in the sky. And of course, it's really the earth that's doing the movements. But this is how we render time. This is how God set it up. But check this out. This is deep, folks. This is so deep. Is that if there is time, guess what? It's not the enemy anymore. I did a quick, <laughs> it's kind of depressing. I said, if I live to be 80 years old, I took 365 days of the year and I, every decade, I multiplied it by 10 years. And then I put, however, I think if I, if I don't get hit by a bus, right? First, if I live to be a, a, an older person and make it to 80, I figured I have about 10,000 days left. 
It's depressing, isn't it? That's not a lot of time, but I can say it with a smile, right? So time now is the enemy. It's the enemy to our aging bodies. It's the enemy to uh, plans we may have for after we leave work and we so, you know, retire. But if there is a rendering of time in eternity, it's basically maybe to get all the Christians together and, all right, it's time to, this is the time we all come together and worship God and then God has different activities for us. I don't know. So there still could be time. I'm not against that, that idea, but it isn't like time today. These things are going to be a learning curve, aren't they? But it all makes perfect sense. Um, then the question is, well, there's food. Will we eat in heaven? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Um, let, let me just stop for a second. I, as you can tell, I, if the mic isn't working, I'm going to feel confined to this pulpit because you, you, I move a lot. I actually went to my foot surgeon and I had one, one surgery on that foot, then on this foot. I need another one on one foot. And I said to him, just put a mechanical joint, the metatarsal joint. And he said... He goes, he knows me. We know, I've known him for years. He goes, Joe, you'll wear it out in five years. He goes, you'll wear it out before <laughs> the expectancy. So, um, so these bodies wear out. And I don't even know where I was, where I went into that. But the point is, <laughs> oh, I know what it was. Heaven's not going to be boring. And I have friends who, you know, they don't believe and they, they scoff and they, they don't want to be a bunch of little ringlet angels with wings floating around from cloud to cloud. That's not my idea of a good time either. Um, but when you read the scripture, that's not accurate. Those are Renaissance paintings. Sometimes we look at paintings and we, we base our theology on some artist uh, uh, decades ago, uh, centuries ago. It's frustrating. So there is no boredom in this kingdom. You know, we have the heavens, we have the earth, we have the New Jerusalem, and New Jerusalem seems to be like almost like a headquarters, but then we can go out and play in the earth. And, and again, this is my conjecture, folks. But why does God give us all of these things? Right? There's going to be plenty to do. Even worshiping God is going to be enjoyable to, to just reach out and touch him now. He's tangible. The sin curse that we're under now is, not, is hindering us. So, folks, this to me is exciting. Okay, let's go back to eating because that's important to me. But, so this is, this is what it's been said. It's been said that we can eat, but we won't have to eat, right? Different. So the time, eating, it's different, cool, interesting. We'll see. Luke 24, the resurrected Christ ate. Right? He ate. John 21, marriage supper of the Lamb. Our new 1 Corinthians 15, redeemed bodies, perfect uh, to go throughout eternity. Marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, interesting thing, not long after the harpazo or the rapture. The leaves are for the healing of the nations. Now, I, I had to go into my lexicon because I'm like, I want to be accurate. I don't want to. So I got a few Greek stuff here and here. I got everything in here today. That's why we're only doing 11 verses. But the healing can also be understood as health giving. It's a subtle nuance, but like the fruit, it sustains life, right? I believe, and again, these are, these are not easy for John to explain. Certainly not easy for me to explain. You know, you can ask me a lot of questions about Revelation and the Bible. I give you some definitive answers. When we get into these last two chapters, I believe that God gives us the hope and assurance now, but he leaves the details and the experience for later. Make sense? Right? It's just like a parent, a, a good parent to a child. 
to slowly unfold the things that he or she has prepared for their children. And because of their minds when they're little, you, you listen, I'm a parent. You, many of you are parents. It's hard to explain to children future things or adult themes in their little minds. So you do the best you can, but you guide them through the process. God is our father, folks. God is our father. So this is pretty exciting. Um, then the question is the nations. I mean, and again, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I've looked at a lot of different opinions. I know how I feel, and I, I've, I start to strictly stay with God's word. I don't like to deviate from it. And I throw in conjecture, but I say it's just my conjecture. Uh, but, you know, some believe that, you know, there's another order of species that God creates. Uh, well, we have to, I'm, I'm not really sure. So I'm not going to put any real stock in that. But I can tell you this, that God has plans for us and he's going to nurture us through eternity. John 14 is so powerful. He tells his disciples, I'm not going to leave you orphans. He's like, I got it. I got He's got to be crucified. He's got to raise from the dead. He's got to be ascended into heaven. And he goes, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would, I would have told you. So he's trying to even explain to his disciples. They're like the kids. We're like the kids. Jesus goes off and he does these things and he prepares places. And are the mansions in the new Jerusalem? Is that sort of our headquarters, our living quarters? I have no idea, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Verse three, there's no more curse. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to run into um, colloquialisms, figures of speech of ancient peoples. As the pastor, it's my job and our job to look into these things and to explain them to you. Right? What's the Hebrew customs? What went on 2,000 years ago? The Roman customs. The Apostle Paul talks about this armor. What armor? He would see he was guarded by soldiers. And we covered that in, in Ephesians. But when we look at curse, to, in 2021 in the United States, we think of almost like, because there's all these witch movies, right? Witchcraft. Oh, somebody's going to put a hex on you. Let's just say that, that the curse was, it's not like that. It, it's was the consequences of sin entering the world, truncated life experience, things that actually would be helpful to us also for us to see our own mortality. So in a way it's, it's a negative thing, but it's also a positive thing. And I, I can't tell you how many elderly people I've run into that scoffed at God their whole lives. And now their ears are open because they're elderly, they're sickly, and they know their time is short. Maybe they did the equations I did and they have less days than I do. So uh, they're open. And what's the best thing? We don't live long on this earth, 80, 90 years, right? The best thing is that we spend eternity with God and our loved ones. That's what it's all about. That's what God wants. He wants to save us from this world, which is in decay. So a lot of really neat things going on. Um, if there's no more curse, there's no more sin, because the sin brought on the curse or the consequences. But the things we struggle with here don't exist anymore. And folks, we... We can suffer oppression. Listen, the persecuted church, Christians in many regions of the world suffer literal oppression by the authorities and extremist groups just for being Christians. But even here where we do have freedom of religion, freedom of faith, um, we can also suffer with spiritual oppression. Now, it's very clear in scripture, I believe, that a, a real Christian who's sealed with the Holy Spirit cannot be possessed by a demon, but they can be harassed. 
And I know many brothers and sisters who have been, and I've been at times. It's just like everything you do is one period of time, and it's just like, oh, my goodness. And it's frustrating. But those things don't exist anymore because there is no oppression. There is no spiritual uh, demonic forces anymore. Those things are all gone. So there's a lot of really neat things that we're going to shed, like a snake sheds his skin when we get into the kingdom. And I'm looking forward to that. So I'm trying to hit all these facets for you. Um, It says they will be, and, and John is looking out at believers collectively, but they would include John and they would include us. So the saints... Right. Those separated from the world have have been sanctified by Jesus Christ. All big words basically means you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You trust him for your eternity and passing into the next world. Um, So the question is, so now God's going to make us his little minions, his little servants. And again, folks, a lot of what I do here is I deal with a lot of college people. I deal with I've I want to say debated, but I've talked to professors um, and just the people who just have issues with God and and his wording. And, but the bottom line is they have to understand what serving means when you're a believer. We don't serve to win God's favor. Oh, if I don't serve this week, God is going to, he's not going to like me. That's not true. We serve because I serve. I don't feel a duty. I don't record it. I don't put dates and say, oh, I hope God to hear, Lord, this, this is what I did for you the last month. We serve because we're so thrilled to be saved. We're so thrilled about what Jesus did that we want to work towards the goal of seeing other people saved. And even stuff that you do in the church, thank God for my sound people. I'd, I'd be shouting right now without a microphone if they didn't figure out how to fix it. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has a purpose to, to do what? To get the message of salvation, not only to um, our people that we know and love, but for strangers. That's what it's all about. So let me just give you an example, too. You know, Genesis said that, and again, back in those days, without modern technology and air conditioning and hydraulics and really neat stuff that we deal with today, that we would have to uh, get food by the sweat of our brow. We would have to, and a lot of people, the large majority of the earth still work hard to put food on the table. Right. But this type of, of serving is pleasurable. And the example that I have is when I do a wedding, I'm serving. If it's a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, I still have to take that time out of my day when I could be doing something else. And I do a wedding. But I got to tell you, if we have a lot of pictures of the pastors and doing weddings and, you know, I'm standing here and this is removed and I'm smiling. <laughs> the, the bride is smiling. The groom. Oh. Ten times out of ten, that's how it goes down. We're having a great time. The, the guests are smiling, and um, I'm serving, but it's a pleasurable experience. So serving should be pleasurable. Even God in the Old Testament, the, the garments that the priests would wear, they had to wear a certain type of fabric where they didn't sweat as much because God wanted everybody to see that the priests served him. But there was a... There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of uh, psychology behind it that they wouldn't be serving so hard, you know, that, oh, those poor priests. No, they wanted to serve the Lord and he didn't want them to sweat while they were doing it. So you've got a lot of things going on at the same time here. Uh, Verse four. This is this one I like here. So we're going to see God's face and his name is on our foreheads. Now, 
I believe the Greek word is prosopon, and then there's another word for, in Hebrew. So face, when you look in the Hebrew, can be translated uh, presence or appearance. This is really, really, really important because a lot of Christians have this question. Well, it does say, and I believe it's in the same chapter, that, um, that Moses and God fellowshiped uh, face to face. And then it says not long after that, God's like, I'm going to protect you from seeing all my glory because nobody can see my face and live. Wait a minute. Moses was just hanging out with him at a barbecue. You know what I'm saying? And this is the, what people do. So there's two words here that are very important. One is uh, colloquialism. The other one is anthropomorphism. They're actually both six-syllable words. A colloquialism, what we covered, is a figure of speech. So when it speaks about, and again, in the Hebrew, idioms. There's a lot of uh, metaphors, right? There's a lot of things in the Hebrew uh, culture that people back then, and even today, Jewish people understand. But for us, it might be a learning curve. So the face-to-face thing just meant that there was intimacy between Almighty God and Moses. That's pretty a pretty neat thing. Now, anthropomorphism is something else. That's where you attribute human characteristics uh, to someone who's not human. God's not human. He's not a created being. God is spirit. So, if and it's funny because again, I have friends. My I was just talking to one of my college buddies. We're going to get together next Saturday, and uh, he's he goes. I love when you mention college buddies. You know, so uh, it's so cool. Like they're just like checking out my the messages on Facebook. It isn't about me. It's about the message. So I told him I don't want to go into too much detail, but there's really he's he's open to the things of God and learning, even in his heritage. So it's an exciting thing, but there are others that are resistant and they just throw barbs at you. And you, you know, you experience, you've been a Christian long enough, your atheist friends will throw a barb at you. But an anthropomorphism is a legitimate use of words to help the reader understand the message that's being conveyed. So in other words, when you, when God says, you'll see my face, there's no inconsistency there. God is spirit. Does he have Cart, nose cartilage. How big is his nose? What color are his eyes? That's not the type of face we're talking about. He's spirit. He doesn't have skin. He doesn't have collagen. But, but we're going to see his presence. There's going to be an intimacy with God that is like no other ever experienced, any human has ever experienced. So you've got to understand the wording and the proper use of the wording and the legit legitimacy of the wording. So when somebody comes to me and they go, oh, there's a Bible inconsistency, I'm like, make your case. Explain it to me. Oh, well, don't just throw platitudes at me but because somebody else you heard said something and you're repeating it. Let's have an honest discussion about this. Let's go through it. Let's dig into the scripture. And I challenge people to try to do research to disprove God because they end up proving God in the end. I don't know anybody who's actually done serious and there's famous people who've done. And why am I, Pastor Joe, this isn't a college course. It's just the culture we live in. A bunch of you are going to take some of the stuff from this, this service and you're going to use it out in the world. We have a culture where everybody thinks they know everything. They're experts. And, oh, that whole God thing. You know, we're in a post-Christian age. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because anthropomorphisms are used in poetry. Right? Do we take every poet literally and go, what's a stupid poetry? You know what I'm saying? I don't write poetry. I'm not that talented. But... Um, so we use these, these terms, colloquialisms, anthropomorphisms in our culture. But when it comes to the things of God, aha, discredited, make your case.
Yeah, it's common sense here. So we, what we understand here is we understand intimacy. Intimacy, right? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It's my supporting scripture for this morning. And the Apostle Paul says something literally that's incredibly deep. He's speaking about, well, he's speaking about the gifts of the Spirit. Then he talks about love, how important love is. And I tell you, when you're exercising your spiritual gift, you better have love. Because if you don't, then it's going to be a boasting exercise. And I've seen that. And it's not pretty. And it, it turns people off. So it, what did Apostle Paul doing between chapters 12 and 14, which talk about these gifts? He's throwing love in there. He's getting off the subject. No, he's not. He's doing that on purpose. So when he speaks about these things and, and you know, the, the qualities of love and, and, and agape love, he says in, in verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror, and they had mirrors back then, dimly, but then in the future face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I am known. And he says, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope will drop off because we'll already be experiencing faith and hope every day in eternity. Love never fails. No, love never ends. Love doesn't ever run its course. It doesn't have an expiration date. So when he speaks about, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Is that, there's that expression again. You know... You, you, if, you, if you come out of the shower and your, your mirror is all fogged up and you look in it, you could sort of see the shape of yourself, but it's very blurry, the steam and the water. And what a great portion of scripture because we now, we see things, we understand things, but we don't have the full picture. There's mysteries that God has, and we've seen it in the book of Revelation where John was going to write it down, faithful John. And the angel said, no, 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 that's got to be sealed. Ooh, don't, don't tell them what the seven thunders uttered. So we knew the other 21 judgments, but we didn't understand the seven thunders because it's left out here on purpose. But I guarantee you when we get to heaven, we'll, what did the seven thunders uttered? Oh, yeah, it's one, two, three. And they, maybe he goes through it. John knew, but he wasn't to share with us. So I'll say this, that in the Old Testament, and uh, Peter speaks about this too, that the, 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 you know, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Hosea and all these different prophets, Elijah, you know, Moses, they would write things down. God said, be obedient, write it down, give it to the people. And even Peter tells us that some of the apostles would write stuff down and they didn't even know what they were writing because it wasn't, it was sealed. But it's coming to pass in our day and even more clearer then. So a lot to this. It's, it's what we're dealing with and understanding is a lot clearer than in the Old Testament, but it's not as clear as what we will experience in eternity. So we're sort of, I think, I don't even think we're in the middle. I think we, we know a lot in, in our dispensation, but we're going to make a huge leap when we get into eternity. We're like, could you imagine? I, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say, oh, you know, you, when you teach the Bible, you're like, oh, man, I really missed the ball on that one. Um, I, might, I might say, oh, I did my best, but this is amazing. And you, you might come to me and go, Pastor Joe, you did a, a, a decent job, but this is amazing. You know, I'm like, well, what do you want from me? I was just a human. I'm seeing dimly in the mirror. Okay. Give me, cut me some slack, but <laughs> I don't think we're gonna have that conversation. But the point is that we're going to experience clearly 
You know, get your towel and wipe the mirror. Squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. Get all that fog off. And now you're going to see when you look into it, you're going to see everything clearly. So we got, we got a good part of the picture. We can make out the form. We can make out the colors. But the fine lines aren't there yet. Isn't that cool? I love the Bible. Uh, it says that his name is on our foreheads. Now, what does that mean? That we're going to be walking around eternity with magic marker on our foreheads? No, it means that, and even if it was the case, God's magic marker probably looks really cool. But we're his. We're his. That's what it means. Intimacy. You know? And people can nitpick and pull things apart, but they're missing the big picture. They're missing the meaning behind the metaphors. All right? I mean, how many people in this world just want to be loved for who they are? I do. If, if, I want to, if I want to receive somebody's love, I don't want to have to perform. I don't want to have to be perfect because I'm not. I want to be loved for who I am. And that's what this culture is breaking down because they're, they're, they're discarding Judeo-Christian values in, in, in replacement with this aggressive, you have to feel this way. Well, you can't make anybody feel anything. When somebody trusts in Christ and the Holy Spirit you know, is inside of them and it starts to change them, that's a true change. Some of the worst people in the world had become Christians and they're like, are you the same person? They become different people. Because of God's power. You can force it through the cancel culture and do whatever. You're not changing anyone's mind. You're not. But we want to be loved for who we are. And we keep seeing Jesus two times here being called the lamb and multiple times through revelation. Wait a minute. John said, here comes the lamb of God, speaking of Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. And again, that was a, uh, a fulfillment you know, the, the lamb was the, the, the thing that it, sadly it gave its life to so that people could have their sins atoned for. Well, Jesus was a metaphorically the lamb. We keep seeing that in the Bible. We keep seeing that in Revelation. Why? Because Jesus will forever be known as the one who loved us so much. Jesus didn't say, well, I want to wait till there's a million people and then I'll die. I really don't want to go to the cross. It's very inconvenient. Um, I, I want to make it worth my while. If one person was on the planet and they needed to be redeemed, I guarantee, it's my conjecture, but I am sure that Jesus would have gone to the cross for that one person. And for you this morning, you're you're also that one person. He went to the cross for you. A lot of Bible teachers believe that before the Lord calls his saints home, there's that one person left who will be saved, that when they come to faith in Christ, then he's going to start the prophetic clock going. So we live in a world of 7.8 billion people on the planet, give or take a few hundred million. God loves every person individually. How does he do that? I have no idea. But that's what the Bible tells me, and I believe it. His desire is that everyone will be saved, but he did give us free will. So consider these things. Consider them. You know, um, listen, a lot of people here have been kicked around in life. You know, we're the type of church that accepts broken people and every church should do that you could come in here in a bad mood and not smile and that's fine just don't bite anybody you know you can come here just as you are be yourself you know let god's word minister to you and i tell you something this is this is an encouraging portion of scripture verse five he says there no night i'm not going to go into detail <laughs> as i did before i told you about my sleep inertia and OSA and stupid sleep problems. I never get a great night's sleep. 
Um, but forget about that. We don't need sleep anymore. There's no night. We probably don't need sleep. There's no circadian rhythms. There's no brain function, pineal gland, and all that stuff, which is really light, really nice. Um, it appears that God's light and these translucent gems that we covered through the city uh, illuminate the, the city. And my guess is that the new earth is illuminated by it. And by extension, you know, however far God makes the heavens. It says, we will reign forever and ever. And that's a beautiful thing because we're going to be in the care of our Heavenly Father. Everything we do, folks, even when you plan for retirement, everything is about trust. Well, how are the markets going to be? Well, how is this 401k? Well, should I have a more aggressive investment or more conservative? But, you know, do I have enough money? You know, you get into a relationship, right? You're going to get married. Is this person good for me? Do they love me for who I am? Everything in life is a calculation and a concern. Should I take this job or should I take that job? I have three different offers. Oh, Lord, which one do I take? What if I get a bad boss? What if they don't like me? What if I don't fit in? All these questions. When it comes to eternity, there's not a concern. We totally put our care and trust in the Lord Jesus, don't we? And he's trying to tell us through this, I got it covered. Everything you can imagine is covered, right? Will there be air conditioning? Will there be... It's going to be great. <laughs> There's not going to be anything left out. And um, I'm very excited about that. Verse 6, last two verses, a few verses before we clear or before we're done. It says, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So there's a lot of people involved in this. A lot of orders of creation. The angels are involved. The prophets were involved. The saints are involved. Um, a lot of involvement. God musters all the forces. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servants. This is the angel talking to John. And of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. He probably also said, get up now before you get me in trouble. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. So what was John used to as a observant, dedicated Jewish man, right? He understood how the prophets got the message, sealed it up. And the angel saying, well, don't seal it up. And we're going to cover that. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So two out of two is the instructions prior to the apocalyptic visions. And that word has taken on a different connotation in our culture. It's unveiling, uh, revealing of Jesus Christ before all of this ends. He says in verse six, these words are faithful and true. And then we're going to get into the quickly, the suddenly, the fast, rapid. We're going to get all into that because second Peter three, what does Peter tell us almost 2000 years ago? Just right about that time. Peter predicts. And I'm going to say that the closer we get to the Lord's return, Peter predicts scoffers in the last days. I've heard it as a pastor. Oh, you Christians been saying that. Listen, 
as a culture, we've moved on. We don't need Christianity anymore. It's a post-Christian nation, okay? Well, the Bible predicted a lot of that too, right? Faith growing cold, people leaving the faith, see some famous people. Oh, doesn't move me any because it's already been said. And Peter even tells us what the scoffers are going to say and how they're going to scoff. And I'll paraphrase it. I'm going to read it next Sunday. You people have been saying this for 2,000 years. That's cool. Let's talk about that. Let's have a discussion. Don't ever be afraid, Christian, of having a discussion with a scoffer if you sense by the Holy Spirit that they might be winnable over time. Or you, you just, you know them, you love them. Take the barbs. God's big. He doesn't need a defense attorney. Take the barbs. Listen to their concerns. Maybe they'll say something that you pick up on and say, oh, now I understand why that person is like that. Listen, Christians used to do this. We, we've kind of lost. We're, we live in such a fast culture. You know, I went through um, Burger King and I got a Whopper and one for a dollar. And it took them probably about three minutes to fulfill my, and my wife wanted some fries. And yeah, this is, a, is a, and I'm looking at my watch. Oh, make my burger. Let's go. No, I didn't say that. I'm very nice to people. But, but the point is, we oh, everybody's awake. That's great. Um, we do live in a drive-through culture. Everything's got to be quick. And sometimes the church falls into that trap. And we don't spend the time with scoffers. That maybe they're winnable. Maybe there were four other Christians that didn't want to give this person the time of day. And you're the person who's going to get them closer to God. Amen? We don't see these things. But... It's happening, right? So Peter tells us. I got one guy who's a Facebook friend. And he just, every time I put something on there, I'm like, bro, I keep saying, you name the place, I'll bring the food, you bring the audience, let's have a debate. And he never takes me up. I, you just want to throw like a, a grenade in the room and, and walk away from it. I said, you're not being honest. Let's talk about this. Some people don't want to, you know, I say he was my favorite atheist, Christopher Hitchens, who died in, 60s, in his 60s. He had like a dozen or more pastors at his funeral. Because when he got sick, towards the end of his life, he had a lot of questions. This guy wrote book against God. God is this. God, you Christians are dumb. And then he's just about to pass. And he had a lot of Christians, especially pastors, that he amassed as friends. Very interesting discussion. So if you want to hold on to that theory, oh, you know, be careful with that one. Because when you step into eternity, there's no going back. You think that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna die and your brain, deet, deet, flat lines, and that's it. You cease to exist. It's it, not going to happen like that. So, and again, I, I love unbelievers. I absolutely love talking to people who are hostile towards the things of God. I'm one of those crazy people. Verse 7, uh, it says that Jesus is coming quickly or suddenly. Aha, another Bible. How can you say if he came today, 2,000 years later is quickly or suddenly? Well, the Greek word is tacos. No, not tacos. I love tacos. I'm getting hungry. It's tacos which we get the prefix tachy, right, in medicine, rapid, tachycardia, rapid heartbeat. When you look at the lexicon and you break that word apart, it's, there's a deeper meaning. It means, check this out. I, I found this out for the first time. I looked in, into the Greek lexicon. It, it can mean in a brief space. It can mean suddenly, no warning, because it quickly unfolds. And you know what that means? It means don't delay getting saved. 
when these things, when the prophetic clock starts, things are going to move very quickly. You don't have time to sit there and debate and argue. So this is important. I'm coming quickly. Unbelievers need to hear this too. When it happens, don't miss the bus. I've done close to 50 funerals to date, and some knew that their time was coming, but none of us, none of them knew the actual day or the hour. They didn't know because we don't come with expiration dates. So things can take, and those who pass suddenly, like a car crash or some type of natural disaster, it happens fast. You know, if you're a skeptic, Today is the day that you need to look into these claims. You need to do some investigation. We'll investigate buying a house. Who doesn't uh, call up an inspector for 400 bucks, send them over to the house, tear the thing apart. I want to know if there's anything wrong with it. How many times, how many people buy a car and they, they get a friend who's a mechanic, kick the tires, open the hood, see if there's any leaks on the ground. We investigate for things that aren't going to last long, but we need to investigate the things where we're going to be forever. So, so important. It's such a deception. And he says, blessed is he who keeps these things, who keeps the, uh, keeps the words of this book, right? So there's a, there's a blessing for this. And we, we see this multiple times. There's a blessing about trusting in God and believing his word. Hold on to those truths. And I think, that, I think that's why our, our church has done very well, even through COVID, is that we are very serious about the Word of God. However, there's two parts to that. If we really believe what we're reading, then it should affect our lives. It doesn't mean we go out there and we, we're, there's no such thing as a super saint. I'm not a super saint. But you, your heart starts to change. Your thoughts start to change. And even the things that you do start to change. The choices that you make start to change. So very important to believe the words and to also live them out as best that we can. So on an individual basis, blessed are you if you keep not only the words of the prophecy, but God's word in general. Many churches, Christians and ministries in the Western world today have discarded God's word for philosophy. Some people, you walk into a church like you don't know what you're going to get. Well, politics. 40 minutes, they talked about politics. Who cares about politics? Politics are toxic. Secular humanism, you know, wokeness, all these type of things. By the way, that crowd is not a fan of biblical Christianity, just so you know. They're, they're mutually really exclusive. Um, but we trust in the things of God. They've, they've stood the test of time. Philosophies will change. They'll come and go. But the word of God, the Bible says, will stand forever. Verses 8 through 9. Okay, let me tackle this. Uh, this is the second time the Apostle John, who is a good man, he falls down to worship at the foot of the angel. Could you imagine being John? I, I call it sensory overload, overstim. And he just is bombarded with all this stuff. And he just, uh, he's, you know, we're human. I might have done the same thing. But he mentions it twice. Was he told to write of his failures? Or was he just that humble that he said to everybody, yeah, I did this. That was stupid. But, um, you know, I, I was caught up in the moment. You know, it's so important. God's word tells us that maybe it's in here for us to see that we shouldn't worship anything but God. Do you know that when Moses was taken too long, according to the children of Israel on the mountain, that Aaron, his brother, who was the priest, 
it taken, boy, he must have been up there a while with God because they take all their jewelry, they melt it down, and they, they start fashioning a golden calf. This is the one who delivered us. So it was, they weren't saying we want to worship cows. What they were saying was, we don't know what God looks like, but this is the best representation that we can have. So let's now bow down and worship this golden calf. And it's made of gold. It's precious. So you know how you can kind of reason in your head? And they were rebuked mightily for that. Because the human psyche, the human nature, tends towards the tangible, don't we? We tend towards the tangible. Uh, so John, the angel, was right there. He was tangible. And he falls down, and he's just caught up in the moment. Don't be, don't be too hard on John. Probably many of us might have done the same thing, or we would have passed out. Who knows? That's why in Exodus 20, it says, don't even make an image, a likeness of anything in heaven, including God or the angels or on the earth and bow down to worship them, including saints. People do that. They bow down before marble statues. That's an offense to God, right? Or even don't worship your denomination. I've heard people say, oh, you know, you haven't been to a real church until you've been to a Calvary chapel. I'm like, don't say that (laughs) because there's a lot of good churches out there. We don't worship our denomination or even this local fellowship. We worship God. So this is in here twice, one earlier in Revelation, one later in Revelation. But you, you you get the picture. You know what? Sometimes we just need a hug, don't we? And in prayer, we relate to God on his level. But sometimes our feelings kind of dominate us and we're like, well, I just want something tangible. And they'll do it. They'll have little items. They'll have little beads. They'll, they'll do different things. And God's like, no, only worship God. Don't make a representation and, and, and worship it or bow down to it or expect anything from it. The pagans do that. Verses 10 through 11, he said, so in Daniel eight twenty six. now this is the Old Testament, He said, seal up the prophecy. Daniel, this is going to happen way after, you know, your people come and go, you know, cultures come and go. You'd be surprised how Daniel, and I'm paraphrasing, how the world is going to look different. Just seal up this prophecy. It's not for now. Here in Revelation, right now, we have a span of uh, some 26, no, scratch that, some 600 years maybe more in the line of 700, he's telling John, don't seal this. Don't seal this. Because remember, as John is given the revelation, things were already happening in the Roman Empire that were going to be fulfilled in this prophecy. So he's telling John, again, I'll paraphrase, humans think that 2,000 years is a long time, but you're going to see some stuff happen. Don't seal it. Let the people read this. And any church who says, well, you can't read the Bible, we'll interpret it for you. You all have Bibles in those pews. And if we start running low, we'll order another hundred of them. You've you got to hold me accountable. Am I saying the right thing? Is that, that Pastor Joe, you made a mistake. Don't be afraid to say that. You know, the, it was the Gutenberg printing press in the 1400s that really rocked the Christian world where Bibles were mass produced now and the common person was able to get the Bible, which is awesome. A lot of people had them, but a lot of people didn't. So John basically, listen, this is the time things are going to start to unfold. Now, the other scripture where he says, let 
you know, let who's unjust be unjust still, filthy, and on the other extreme, righteous and holy, you know, some are going to stay faithful and some are going to be set apart. Some will, no matter what their personal pain is, they're going to continue to trust God and they will be rewarded for all eternity. This, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we all experience the first part of what he said, including me, tribulation. This world is a landmine metaphorically. But Jesus has overcome the world. And when we experience and experience that part, we won't have the tribulation part anymore. He's already went to the cross. Deal is done. It's just a matter of time before it all unfolds. Pretty exciting. But so the, the faithful will stay faithful if they're truly his. The scoffers will continue to scoff and be caught off guard. Some will be saved. Some will be saved. So remember, it's going to unfold rapidly. So whoever is settled in whatever state they're in, as it, let's take it to context of the whole chapter, as things move quickly, when that time comes, it'll be like whiplash. You won't, there won't be, there won't be probably much change when it happens really quickly. So, I mean, look at the flood. It was the same thing, the flood of Noah. He preached. They probably said, you're crazy. You're building that stupid boat. We've never had a flood, you dummy. Who are you talking to? What kind of God? Could you imagine what they said to him? Then the floods came. Then the, the aquifers started. Then the hydrosphere started. Very quickly. Right? So, folks, Matthew 24 says the same thing. Two will be grinding in the field. One will be taken. The other one will still be grinding. Hey, where'd my partner go? When the Lord comes... And, and that time clock starts to run out. Where are you? Whose side are you going to be on? Whose side are you going to be on? Let me leave you with this as we close. The title is a question. Will you spend eternity here? Everyone in this room, everyone watching on the live stream, you know what's really cool? Today, everyone has an elite club. Want to get into a certain golf club? It's elite. You want to get into a certain academic club? It's elite. You want to be the who's who, the globalists? It's elite. The ones controlling everything? This depends on you. You want to be here? You want to be in the new heavens and new earth? You want to see new Jerusalem? You want to see the lights? You want to see the angels? You want to see God? It depends on you. Let me put it back to you. So if you expected me to say you got to jump through hoops, that's not what you're going to get from me because that's not what the Bible says. Will you spend eternity here? That depends on you. Do you want to or do you want to keep clinging to this sinking ship of the world that we live in? Your choice. Jesus said there's only two paths. There's not three. Can I have a third option? Number C? No. E, all the above? No. It's the wide path that many follow, unfortunately, or the narrow path that few follow. So I want to encourage you this. Going back to the Lamb, the key to you spending eternity here is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus took our filth. He took my filth, the filth that I'll commit in the next 10,000 days before I go, if I live that long. He died for the sins of the past, present, and the future, things we haven't even done yet. So that when God looks at us, Justice has already been paid on the cross. He sees us as clean. That's how efficacious, that's how efficient Jesus is. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Is that what you want? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.